And uh, it's good to have uh, Governor and First Lady Kemp with us this morning. We thank you for your service, and uh, in particular, we thank you for the support for the Heartbeat Bill for Georgia. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Father, Sunday after Sunday, we come up and ask that you would come and do a work in this place, that you would speak through whoever is handling your word, that you would minister through the music. And this week is no different. We do these things, if we do these things apart from you, we do them in vain. And so, Father, we need your help. We need you to open eyes, to unclog ears, to break hard hearts. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would come and minister to us this morning in the way that only you can. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. During the French Revolution, there were three Christians uh, who were sentenced to uh, death by the guillotine. One Christian had the gift of faith, the other had the gift of prophecy, and the third had the gift of helps. The Christian with the gift of faith was to be executed first. He asked if he wanted to wear a hood over his head, and he declined by stating that he was not afraid to die. I have faith that God will deliver me, he shouted bravely. His head was positioned under the guillotine with his neck on the chopping block. He looked up at the sharp blade, said a short prayer, and waited confidently. And the rope was pulled, but nothing happened. His executioners were amazed and believing that this was some uh, act of God, they freed the man. The Christian with the gift of prophecy was next. His head was positioned under the guillotine and he too was asked if he wanted to wear the hood. And he said, no, I am not afraid to die. However, I predict that God will deliver me from this guillotine. At that, the rope was pulled again and nothing happened. Once again, the, the executioner is puzzled, and he assumed that, again, this was a miracle of God, and so they freed the man. The third Christian was uh, the one with the gift of helps, and he uh, was brought up to the guillotine and likewise asked if he wanted to wear the hood. No, he said, I'm just as brave as those other men. The executioner positioned him face up under the guillotine, and they were about to pull the rope when the man stopped them. He said, hey, wait a minute. I think I found the problem with your guillotine. <laughs> There's often a lot of confusion about spiritual gifts. But the thing we need to know is that at the core of this issue is the, the lordship of Christ. There are lots of people who experience uh, strange and mysterious things, but if we all sort of fall over and follow whatever the latest strange thing is, we will end up in a sea of confusion. I remember a young man who was in uh, my Bible study in Australia, and he would always go on and on about this church that um, was performing miracles. And he would tell me the story of a, a, a woman whose leg... Uh, grew back out of nothing. 
And he kept saying that uh, the people that had witnessed this and the people that were telling him of these events, uh, they had no reason to make up these stories. And so my question to him was, does it bring glory to Christ? Was it something that was just, wasn't just amazing and, and made you want to go to this particular church because of what they could do? Or because this particular preacher was using these things to prop himself up, to glorify himself, to draw attention to himself? The ironic thing is that now we have people who are so skeptical of miracles today because of charlatans who go around abusing what God may actually be using for his glory. And so we come to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul has been responding to the Corinthians' questions, these questions that they've been asking, various issues that are being raised. And Paul is responding. In Corinth, uh, there were people who were using their spiritual gifts uh, to impose power over other members of the church. And so how will Paul address this issue? Because there seems to be not much understanding. That's why he says, I I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to know these things. I was talking with a friend the other day about uh, marriage. And I was telling him, you know, Paul writes about marriage uh, and what marriage looks like in Ephesians and Colossians and Corinthians. Uh, but those are not, that's not the main point of those letters. He doesn't go straight to dealing with uh, that particular issue or, or any particular issue necessarily. But, but he, has to, he has to lay the foundations. He has to start somewhere. And so he tends to start at the beginning. Remember who you were. Remember who Christ is. Remember who you are now in light of what he has accomplished. Remember that moment it was revealed to you that Christ is Lord and you surrendered to him. Because if we do not start there, then we, we start off on shaky ground. We need to remember the, the overall picture of what is happening in our lives before we jump into uh, specific aspects. So Paul starts this new section off by saying, Remember, you Gentiles, remember the pointless, mute idols that you once followed? Remember those? Remember when the scales fell from your eyes and you understood for the first time that those were empty and, and, and hollow and void? Because you encountered the living God who is real. And it may not have been with fireworks and drums as some of the pagan experiences were, but it was real. For some of you that may be the case, but I assume it would sound more like this. Remember when your faith became your own. Remember when it was no longer your parents' or your grandparents' faith, but it was yours. And it wasn't just knowing Bible stories, but it became something real to you. Now, remembering those things and knowing that you claim Jesus as Lord, you can look at spiritual gifts with a balanced view. Spiritual gifts are not earned things. They are not created to cause conflict. They are 
grace gifts. They are not something on top of grace or or better than grace, but they are manifestations of God's grace to his people. At the core, they are gifts. What are gifts? Gifts are, are things that are given. They're given things. And one cannot merit or earn a gift. It is something that is given that one does not deserve. If you're a member here of Apostles, then you will have filled out the spiritual gifts test, the spiritual gifts assessment, a way of showing you an area or multiple areas where God has given you that particular gifting. And as you know, there's not just one gift. We are not all exactly the same. The beauty of the church is in its diversity. And so Paul says there, is a, a, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you remember the first issue that Paul raised uh, with the Corinthians at the beginning? In chapter 1, he addressed the, the issue of divisions within the church. They were fighting over uh, who they were students of, who, who they listened to, who it was that they followed. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow even Jesus. And Paul asked them, how can they be divided as the body of Christ? Is Christ divided? Did Paul die for you? No. They were attempting to bring their Corinthian thinking into the church uh, the way that they were students of their favorite uh, philosophers or, or gurus. And now in chapter 12, Paul is discussing the issue of gifts and gifting, which has diversity in it. There's diversity of gifts. There are different gifts. But don't think because there is diversity in the gifting that there can be diversity in the status of the members. Don't think that because there is diversity in the gifting that this implies there is disunity somewhere. Because as he's going to get to, we tend to see giftings on a scale. There are the giftings that so many want or desire. And those people tend to be elevated when they have those giftings. There are those giftings that get little recognition. And those people are to be pitied? No. No, in fact, Paul shows that even the Holy Trinity has different roles and responsibilities. The work of God among us and the work of God among the Corinthians is truly a a triune work that is not limited to one person of the Trinity. Unity and diversity. But before we get to that, it's important to note that the gifts we have been given are not for Investing for self-gain. They are not for selfish return. The purpose of spiritual gifts is for giving. For giving, not forgiving. Although that might be one. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, Paul says. Gifts are given in order that the believer might contribute to the common good. The end goal of one's identity and abilities is not the building up of self, as some churches may have you think, but it is for the building up of others. But then there are those who think, you know, I am not gifted. Uh, I don't know what my gifts are. And this is common in my years of ministry, few as they may be, but in interviewing uh, new people here at this church or my work overseas, that was a common response when asked. But you see, brothers and sisters, no one is left out. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So for those of you who may be asking, what do I have to give to the community? What are my gifts? Am I even gifted? Take heart. Be encouraged. Because every single believer who has been given, every single believer who has put their trust in Christ has been given gifts or a gift. And gifts are not worked up to as our society and our world might lead you to believe. It's not something you earn, but they are lived into. It's not something that we earn. It's something that is who we are. It becomes who we are. Spiritual gifts are grace gifts, as Dr. Carson calls them. And anyone who has experienced the grace of God in Christ can be certain that they have received a grace gift that is intended for the use of the common good. That's the encouragement. Here's the challenge. If Christians are not exercising and using their particular gifts that they have been given, whatever they might be, for the common good, they are depriving the rest of the body. They are withholding and being stingy with their gifts. Every Christian has a responsibility to bless the rest of the community with the gifts that the Spirit has given you. Because to each is given. Now as to the list that Paul gives in verses 8 to 10, I won't go into detail here other than to say these gifts are glorifying to God. I think sometimes we read through that list and we kind of trying to think which one is me and how can I use it for myself or my own advantage or, or, or how do I do this? No, these, these gifts are glorifying to God. They elevate Christ. They do not promote self. Gift of knowledge and wisdom, perhaps teaching, it is to point to Christ as the only means of grace and salvation. You have the gift of faith. It's not saving faith because every believer has saving faith, but instead is probably the ability to see how God is working his plan of salvation even through difficult circumstances, giving the God the praise that he deserves. Gift of healing, this is not the faith healers we see who promote themselves as faith healers, but the person who is willing to be used as a conduit of God since God is the one that heals. 
Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14, they, they're performing miracles in Lystra and they, they heal a man. And the people uh, come in and they call uh, Paul Zeus and they call Barnabas Hermes. But Paul and Barnabas plead with them not to worship them, but to worship the God who has sent them and is using them for his glory. Maybe the gifts of tongue and interpretation. This is not something that made you extra special and gave you a higher standing. It glorified Christ and was for the common good as were all the other gifts. And look at the phrase that is repeated through these verses. Paul says, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, By the one Spirit. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Do you think Paul is making his point to the Corinthians? Then he addresses this issue of unity in that some are thinking more highly of themselves or uh, or their gifts than they ought to. And others are thinking too low of themselves or too low of the gifts that they have been given. And here we have that memorable illustration of the body and its parts. If the church is a body, then it is one and therefore it is unified. And it is made up of many parts and that is the genius of the body. It's unity and diversity. But the unity does not threaten the diversity because all the members of the body belong to the same body. Even if some of the members of the body feel that they are inferior or inadequate or inconsequential or unnecessary, they are still vital members of the body. A foot may say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Similarly, an ear may say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Some in the body may feel as if their gifts are so pitiful and small, they can be dispensed with. When in reality, every member of the body is needed for the body to function, to function well. The body, by definition, is composed of many parts. And the exclusion of certain parts is essentially self-mutilation. The composition of the body is not an accident because God himself has arranged or appointed or placed every member just the way he's wanted them to be and where he wants them to be. The gifts of each individual reflects God's sovereignty and his wisdom, as the verse says, he chose. We see even the parts that seem weaker are absolutely necessary for the proper function of the body. In fact, the less honorable parts are given more honor. Why? Because the visible ones are given plenty of honor publicly. The Corinthians were elevating the the speaking in tongues above other gifts as if that particular gift was superior to other gifts. 
when in reality what they were doing is undermining the body and dishonoring the God who had given the gifts. And so what's at stake here? This could be confusing. This could be new language to you. Maybe you've not heard of these things. Maybe you've not thought of these illustrations. What's at stake here? There are two primary issues for us that we need to correct or get right, I think. The first one is that we need to know our gift giver. God is a giver by nature. The Father gave the Son to redeem us. He didn't have to give. If anyone deserved to be given to, it was Him. But He looked at us in our sin, in our hoarding, in our non-giving, and He freely gave of Himself. The Son accomplished and achieved redemption. He gave up His life, achieving for sinners what we could never do so that we could receive a gift that we could never deserve. And after He sacrificed His life, He sent His Spirit. Just when you would think that He had given enough, Jesus ascends into heaven and gives more by pouring out His Spirit, the Spirit that gives life, and applies to us grace. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just the one-time gift of salvific grace. He gives perpetually through the giving of these spiritual gifts for the building up of the body so that the body can serve and give and teach and grow. And so we need to know our gift giver. You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed the more you get to know this gift giver. The second primary issue that we need to correct or get right is the view of self and the view of others. So this is intentional. We need to get our vertical right before we work on our horizontal. But the second thing is our view of self and others. So often we can become so self-focused, interested in self-protection and self-care that we are unable to fulfill our role in the body. And in many ways, we begin to mirror the culture around us rather than the new identity we have in Christ as a member of the body of Christ. One commentator asked these searching questions, which I found convicting. He says, in valuing the intellect... Has there been an undervaluing of the heart? In valuing excellence, has there been an undervaluing of simplicity? Have the grace gifts of some been overlooked because we overvalue the grace gifts of others? Have we viewed people in our community groups as dispensable? Have we become more interested in self-composition and lost sight of God's composition? I think likely the answer to many, many of these is yes. So we must remember 
that Christ could have viewed us as dispensable. But in his grace, in his grace, he shows us that he thought of us as indispensable. In fact, he became dispensable for us in our place. And there's no need to distinguish ourselves or or compete for higher positions within the body of Christ Our position in the body has been secured. We can rest assured that our identity has been given us in Christ. And we can care for one another because we have experienced this care that he has given to us. I'll close with this story. Years ago, the top law student from uh, Chicago Kent College of Law was a blind man by the name of Overton. When he received this honor, he insisted half the credit should go to his friend Kaspirizak. They couldn't give him an easier name. They met one another in school when the armless Mr. Kaspirizak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. And their acquaintance became a friendship and a great example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books which the armless man read aloud in their common study, and thus the two men were able to build the other up, serving the other in their capacity. What a picture of the way the church family is to support and care for one another. Seeking the other's good, for the common good, using their gifting that was given to them. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I can get so caught up in myself and how I'm doing and where I'm going and I can begin to even create competition. And as long as I'm not doing as badly as that person, then everything's fine. And yet that is not what you have called us to. For you have taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and desolation and placed us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your Son. And beyond that, you have given us these gifts. What a disservice to the gift giver if we never discover what that gift is or use that gift for your glory. For, Father, we do not deserve praise and glory for the use of these things or or the discovering of you because you are the one who sought us out. You are the one that opened our blind eyes to see the truth. And so, Father, we pray, would you help those of us who don't know our spiritual gifts to discover what they are? the particular area or bent that you have given us. That you would open our eyes to not only see that gifting, but that you would open our eyes to see the community in which you have placed us in, in your sovereignty, in your wisdom. And that we wouldn't look to our brother and sister to how they can help us, but how we can support one another in the growth of your church, in the supporting of the brothers and sisters. Some of us have left 
mothers and fathers and spouses and children who have who've left the faith or do not know you, and this is the only family that exists. Oh, what a blessing that is that you have provided for us a family and a body in which we can serve. And in that love that we demonstrate for one another in these giftings, the outside world will look upon us with envy that they would have a family that they could belong to, that they would have a body that they could belong to. But those things don't exist if we fail to use, if we fail to submit to the Lordship of Christ. So, Father, give us hearts. Give us eyes to see. Give us the wills to continue. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.